A great theologian, A.W. Tozer, once said this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I think there's a lot of truth to this statement because how we think about God, what comes into our minds when we think about God really affects how we see ourselves, how we relate to other people, how we relate to God, how we live every day. Because if we have an image of God in our mind that God is far off, he's kind of distant, and he doesn't really care about this world, then we're probably going to be disinterested in God, right? Or if we view God as this angry old man in the sky who's always wagging his finger at us, we're probably not going to want a relationship with God. Or if we view God as somebody who punishes us when we do bad and rewards us when we do good, then when we do bad, we'll try to run from God, and when we do good, we'll be at God's feet begging Him to give us what we deserve. And if we view God as a God who only loves people who have it all together, then we're probably only going to love people who have it all together as well. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I wonder if you've ever thought about this, that the God we worship and serve is a God who loves parties and a God who loves celebrations. Now, for some of you, that might be an exciting and a fun and a new thought. For others of you, that might be kind of a challenging thought, maybe even like a sacrilegious thought, because in the church you grew up in, it was the furthest thing from fun that you can imagine, right? Like, it was the type thing where in your church, if anybody had fun, it automatically got shut down. And in your church, God was always talked about as being angry, and so you can't even imagine God being at a party or God celebrating. Maybe maybe your church or maybe a church you've been to, it's like being at the swimming pool, right? As soon as you start running around and having a little fun, somebody is there to put you in your place and tell you to stop running and to calm down. Or when somebody brings donuts or a cake to celebrate, everybody is like, no, 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 we need to keep that outside the church because if the icing gets on the carpet, then there's going to be a lot of issues and we can't have that kind of stuff in church. We can't have that kind of fun in church. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? Say amen if you went to a church like that. And there's a lot of churches like that, right? And as God's people, we're called to reflect God to the world. But I feel like a lot of times we as Christians have gotten it wrong because we've reflected a God to the world who is boring, who's no fun, and who hates celebrations. But when we look at the Bible, we actually find the opposite. We find that God is a God who loves to throw parties, and God is a God of celebration. And so in this sermon series throughout July, we're going to be looking at different parties in the Bible every single week, and we're going to be looking and looking together at what they reveal to us about God and also what these parties and celebrations reveal to us about how we're called to live as God's people. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at a party in the Bible, and this party comes in Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to go ahead and start finding that. If you don't have a Bible, we have some at the Welcome Center for free for you. And here in Luke chapter 15, This is Luke's account of Jesus' life, and we hear about three different parties. Jesus tells three different parables that each involve a party, and this morning we're going to look at the first two of those parables, and then in a couple weeks we're going to look at the third one. 
And so when we come to these parables in verses 1 to 2, we, we get a picture of what's going on, and we get a picture of the context and the scene that's taking place. Um, but before we get to that, if you're not familiar with what a parable is, a parable is simply uh, a common everyday story that uses objects like seeds and farmers and sheep. It's an a earthly story that reveals deep spiritual truths about God, God's kingdom, God's character, and how God calls us to live as God's people. And Jesus loved to tell parables. Over a third of his teaching was in the form of parables, and parables weren't something Jesus invented. They were common forms of Jewish teaching at the time. And people would teach in parables because parables have a way of kind of disarming us, uh, of kind of getting a message into us through the back door, of inspiring us, of encouraging us. And so Jesus tells some parables in response to a situation that's going on, and we read about that situation in verses 1 and 2. We read this, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So you can begin to see kind of the conflict here. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, that is the religious people, are upset with Jesus because Jesus is spending time with sinners and tax collectors, what we might call irreligious people. And now you might say, okay, you know what, it makes sense of why they'd be mad that he's hanging out with the sinners, but tax collectors, I don't really get that. Well, tax collectors were oftentimes lumped in with the sinners because tax collectors in that day were viewed as immoral and they were pretty despised by people. Because the tax collectors were typically Jewish men who worked on behalf of the Roman government to collect taxes. And the Romans were the occupiers of the Jewish people. They were oppressing them. And so the tax collectors, their job was to collect taxes for the Romans, to send it along to the enemy. And the way the tax collectors made money is to overcharge people, to take a little off the top. And so a lot of times the tax collectors were rich. They were viewed as traitors. They were viewed as dishonest people. And so here they're lumped together with the sinners, the tax collectors and the sinners. And the religious leaders are upset that Jesus is spending time with them Because these religious leaders thought that there should be clear boundaries between the righteous and the unrighteous, between the clean and the unclean, and they were particularly upset that Jesus was eating with them. Because in this culture, to eat with somebody was more than just sharing a meal like it is in our culture. To eat with somebody was how they kind of defined boundaries, they defined status. And so they had some regulations that the Pharisees were constantly trying to enforce. Of You can't eat with these people. You can't eat with these people. You can't eat with these people. And Jesus is defying these boundaries that they've set up. And they are not happy. So Jesus is eating and he's hanging out with these sinners and tax collectors. He's welcoming them. They're welcoming him. The Pharisees and teachers of the law are upset. And in response... To their muttering, Jesus tells two parables. And here are the two parables that he tells. Jesus told them this one. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. 
Or, suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, doesn't she call her friends and neighbors together and say, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And in these parables, what Jesus is doing, he's revealing to us what God is really like. And he says, God is like a shepherd. Not a poor shepherd who has maybe nine or ten sheep. God is like a rich shepherd who has a hundred sheep. One of them gets lost. And God is like this shepherd who leaves the 99 behind and who goes and seeks out that lost one. He goes out into the open country. Maybe he travels days. He does whatever it takes until he finds that lost sheep. That's what God is like. Some of you might know the song we've been singing lately, Reckless Love. It's based largely on this parable. And Corey Asbury, the guy who wrote it, says that, you know what, a lot of times in our modern minds, to leave the 99 sheep behind to go after the one seems kind of reckless. It seems kind of crazy to us. But that's the kind of God, love God has for someone who is lost, for a sheep that is lost. He's willing to leave the 99 to go and find the one. And then Jesus says, God is like a poor woman. This is the only parable where he compares God to a woman. He says, God is like a poor woman. A poor woman whose life savings is 10 silver coins, and each coin represents a day's worth of wages. And so her life savings is 10 days worth of wages, and she loses one of them. And God is like this woman who, when she loses a coin, she lights a lamp, she sweeps the house, she searches diligently, she searches carefully until she finds that one coin. You see what Jesus is saying here? Our God is a God who seeks and saves lost things. God doesn't wait for the sheep to find its way back home or say, you know what, I got 99, we can leave the one behind. No, God takes initiative. God goes out and searches. God doesn't wait for the coin to pop out of the couch three years down the road. God is a God who searches diligently and carefully until he finds it. God is a God who seeks out and saves the lost. And then we read that God is a God who celebrates. Because God is like the shepherd who, who, when he finds the one lost sheep, he doesn't shame the sheep. He doesn't shun the sheep. No, God puts the sheep on his shoulders and he carries it back, maybe days across the open country, and returns it to the fold. And when God returns with the sheep, what does he do? He calls his friends and neighbors and says, let's party. This sheep of mine was lost and now it's fine. God is like the woman who, when she finds the coin, look, she doesn't have much money, but she has enough money to throw a party and she gathers together her neighbors and her friends, everybody in the nearby area, and she says, look, let's celebrate. This coin of mine that was lost has now been fine. We serve a God who seeks and saves the lost and who celebrates when they're found. And then Jesus brings it a little closer to home because he says, look, our God isn't, actually searching for coins and for sheep, what our God is actually searching for is people. Lost people. 
More specifically, sinners. Sinners who are in need of repentance. And now to help you understand this, one way to think about sin is to think about maybe the sinner aisle as the path that God has for us. And so this is God's desire for us, a path in which we walk with Him. And when we sin, what we're doing is we're straying from that path. Instead of following God's way, we're saying, you know what, God, I'm going to go on my own journey. I'm going to do my own thing. And so we start walking this way. And so when we're sinning and we're in need of repentance, we get lost because we're not walking with God. We find ourselves separated from Him. And what we find is that God is a God who goes out and seeks us when we've gone down this path. And He wants us to repent. That is to turn from our old way of life, to turn from the path we've been going down and return back to His path. Our God is a God who seeks and saves the lost. And if you think about Genesis, this is what happens, right? Adam and Eve, they kind of go on their own way. They begin to go on their own journey, and it says in Genesis that God seeks them out. And really, the whole story of the Bible is God seeking out lost people. God sending the Ten Commandments to help guide the people. God sending the prophets to help them return. God creating the nation of Israel to be a light in the midst of darkness in this world. We serve a God who seeks and saves the lost. And then we read that when God finds someone who's lost, when they've been found, there is a party in heaven that God is joyful, that God is ecstatic. And we find in this parable that it's not just God who celebrates, God's joy overflows to who? The angels and to all of heaven. And when one sinner repents and returns home, when someone who is lost has been found, there is a celebration in heaven. And I don't know about the best party you've ever been to, but I've been to a lot of great parties in my day. My testimony, I can share that another, another time, right? But look, I've been to a lot of great parties in my day. And I remember one of the best parties I've ever been to was my friend's wedding, and it was down in South Alabama. And you can imagine how hot it is in South Alabama, right? And now this party, it had a dance floor the size of a football field. Black and white checkers, which means you're here to dance. You're here to have fun. And thankfully, this party was so awesome, it was under a tent. And the tent had walls, and the tent the size of the football field was air-conditioned. Because we were ready to party. And there was, a dan- there, was a, there was a band with about 15 people, Motown style, and everybody was dancing, having a big time. And then when you got tired of dancing, the nice thing was, there were big fans with the mist stuff, you know, so you could go get cooled off. And then there were just buffets everywhere, right? Prime rib, get a little horseradish sauce, put it on a biscuit, eat it. You know, shrimp and grits buffet, all of that kind of stuff. It was an amazing party. And there was actually one spot at the party where there was a boat inside of this tent. Now, I don't know why there was a boat in this tent, but there was a boat and the boat was full of cooked shrimp. And you just ate the shrimp and then you had all you can eat. It was an amazing party. And guess what? That party pales in comparison to any party in heaven and any party that God has. The greatest party you've ever been to with all of your loved ones, with everything you could ever dream of, pales in comparison to this party that God is hosting. When someone who is lost has been found, that's the God we worship and we serve. A God who loves to celebrate. A God who loves parties. A God who seeks and saves the lost and celebrates when they're found. And like I said a minute ago, this is really the story of the Bible. And in the Old Testament, we find God going out and seeking his people. And then eventually when we get to the New Testament, what we discover 
is that God decides, you know what, I have to do whatever it takes to save these lost people. And so God decides to enter into our world in the person of Jesus Christ. God enters into our world because he's willing to do whatever it takes to come and to find us, to find his people and to restore that relationship. And that's why when we look at the heart of Jesus, we actually find the heart of God. And when we look at the mission of Jesus, we find the mission of God. And what is the mission of Jesus? Luke tells us to seek and to save the lost. And this is what was making the religious leaders so furious. Because Jesus was seeking out and saving the lost. He was God in the flesh. He was doing what God does. And they were upset with him. Because Jesus was welcoming these people into his life. He was spending time with them. He was loving them right where they were in life. And he was sharing with them God's extravagant grace. The undeserved, unearned, unrepayable, loving power and presence of God. He was revealing that to them saying, come home. You've lost your way. I'm here to rescue you. And it made the religious leaders mad. It made them mad because they they thought these people, well, they thought they were lost like Jesus, but they thought they should be shunned and they should be shamed. They should be rejected. But Jesus said, no, we shouldn't shame them. We should seek them. We shouldn't reject them. We should rescue them. And so Jesus told these people, look, you're not garbage. You're valuable. You're not nothing. You're something in my God's kingdom. The religious leaders weren't happy. They weren't happy because they thought maybe Jesus, by spending time with these people, maybe it was going to look like he was endorsing their behavior. Maybe he was going to start doing what they were doing. Maybe it was going to confuse people because Jesus was a religious leader at that time. But Jesus didn't care. He put up with the murmuring. He put up with the challenges. He risked his reputation so that he could seek and save the lost. And I imagine when a lot of these people that were hanging around Jesus, I imagine when they thought of God, the first thing that came into their minds was a God who was angry. A God who was judgmental, a God who had rejected them because that's what all the religious people said. But when they met Jesus, God in the flesh, they discovered what God actually thought about them. And they discovered that what God thought about them is that they were loved. And they were valuable and they were worth God and Jesus Christ sacrificing everything. And it's so interesting to think about how when God entered into this world, it was the religious leaders who rejected him and murmured against him. And it was the sinners who loved him and wanted to be around him. Isn't that kind of different than you'd expect? The religious leaders didn't want anything to do with Jesus. But the sinners were drawn to him. And it makes me wonder, if sinners aren't drawn to us today as Christians, then what what are we doing wrong because we're not living like Jesus? That's another sermon for another day. But these sinners, they love to be around Jesus because as they spent time with him, they experienced this love that they'd never felt before, but 
which they knew deep down they were capable of and that they were made for. When they spent time with Jesus, they were able to taste this hope. This hope that Jesus lived with that they wanted. These people who were rejected and were constantly pushed to the margins and to the edges of society, when they were with Jesus, they experienced a peace that was like nothing they'd had before. They figured out who God really was. And then they eventually saw the extent of God's love and the extent of how far God was willing to go to find them. Because eventually they saw Jesus nailed to a cross. And on the cross, Jesus wasn't carrying a sheep on his shoulders. Instead, they saw that Jesus was carrying their sins so that they could be forgiven as they were found. And what they saw that day is that it wasn't just their sins on Jesus' shoulders, it was actually the world's sins, it was your sins, and it was my sins that were placed upon Jesus so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be set free, as we sang about earlier, so that we could be people who are found. And I know for a lot of you in here this morning that, that you consider yourself as someone who's been found by God. At some point in your life, you've experienced God's grace. You've experienced God seeking you out. In the Methodist church, we call that God's provenient grace. That's God's grace that goes before us, goes before we even know who he is. It's a relationship God puts in our life. It's an invitation to church somebody gives us. God's grace seeks us out and finds us right where we were and draws us into a relationship with him. God invites us to receive the gift of salvation, to know his love and salvation in our hearts. And all we have to do, the parables say, is repent. That is, turn from that old way of life and return to God. And then we're found. And I know a lot of you in here, that's where, that's where you are right now. You feel like you've been found by God. And that's something to celebrate. And we celebrate that every week in worship. And I know for others of you in here this morning, maybe you feel like you haven't exactly been found yet. Maybe you feel like right now that God is searching you down and God is knocking on your door and you're kind of like, God, I'm busy. I don't want to answer this door because I'm afraid of what's on the other side. If that's you this morning, that's okay. All we have to do, all you have to do is to repent, to open the door and open your heart to Jesus and he will come inside. He will find you. He will save you, forgive you, set you free, and you can walk on this path that God has for you again. And if that's you this morning, I'd love to talk with you after the service. But no matter where you find yourself right now, whether you feel like you're found or maybe you're lost or you'll be found in the future, I want you to know this. Once you've been found by God, God sends you out to find other people. Just as God entered into this world to seek and save the lost, just as Jesus entered into the world of sinners and tax collectors to seek and save them, so God sends us found people to help him go out and find other people. And now when I was in Boy Scouts, I actually did some training and learned how to find people. Specifically how to find people who were lost in the wilderness. And what we would do is we would do these trainings where we'd be on a camp out with a lot of different scout groups. 
and they would send an adult or a student or somebody off into the woods within a few miles of us, and generally they would kind of have some you know, fake medical ailment. They would send them out, and then they would say, you know what, all the scouts go out and find the person. And at first we didn't really know what to do, but over time after doing these trainings, we learned how to find people who were in need of rescue. And we learned a few things along the way. And one of the things we learned is that it is helpful to know who you're searching for. Is it a man? Is it a woman? Are they young? Are they old? Do they have any known medical issues? Do we know the last place they were seen? It's helpful to know who you're searching for. That's the first thing we learned. The second thing we learned is that we couldn't just wait for the people to come and to find us. We had to go out and find them. If they were going to come and find us, then I guess they really wouldn't be lost. We wouldn't need to do much. No, we had to go out and find them. And when we went out, we had to go with a sense of urgency because when you're lost in the wilderness, it's a matter of life and death. So that's the second thing we learned. The third thing we learned is that we had to be strategic. We couldn't just get lucky because we weren't trying to be lucky. We were trying to find lost people. And so what they would do is they would send us out and they would break up the property, the the miles around the camp, into sectors. And they would send out different groups to different sectors. And when you got to your sector, you'd map it out. And then you'd have people who would line up about 10 to 20 feet apart and they would walk in a straight line like a fan and they would search, they would shout, they would look on the ground for the person. And once a region was clear, it would be checked off and then you'd go to the next region. You had to be strategic. And then we learned... That when you find somebody, you don't shame them or ask them a ton of questions about why they got lost. No, instead, you welcome them and you help them be healed. Because being lost can be a very traumatic thing, right? If you're lost for hours or for days, and so when you find a lost person and you say, Hey, what happened? Why did you leave the group? No, no, you don't do that. You say, Hey, we're so glad we found you. How can we help you? Are you feeling okay? And you help get them back to help. You offer no judgment when you find them. And then the final thing we learn is that when you find somebody, you celebrate. And they didn't have to teach us this in scouting. This is just something that comes innately. When you find somebody who's been lost and possibly dead, what do you do? You celebrate that they're now alive again. And so that's what we did. And you know what? A lot of these principles that relate to finding lost people in the woods relate to our call by God to find lost people in this world. And so this morning, I want to ask you, who is your one? Who is the one person that God might be calling you to help him go out and find? Now look, there's a lot of people in this world, right? But I believe that God is calling you to help find someone who's in your family. Who's in your friend group, who's in your sphere of influence. So I want you to think about who is that one person in your life. And I don't want this to just be a theoretical exercise. Actually, if you open up your bulletin and you look at the bottom of the sermon notes, what does it say? It says the one and then there's a line, right? So I want to encourage you to write down somebody's name to be specific regarding the person 
that God might be calling you to help find in this world. To help be restored to the path that He desires for you. And as you search for this person, as you help them experience God's grace, I want to ask you just a few questions. For this one person, are you willing to enter into their world? To meet them where they are and to love them where they are? Are you willing to be mischaracterized? To be judged, maybe even rejected like Jesus for spending time with this person? Are you willing to go through life's ups and downs with this person? All the while showing them Jesus. And then one final question. Are you willing to throw a party for this person when they're found? Because if you are, I want to let you know that here at Harvest Point, you have a group of party people who will help you celebrate, and we will throw the biggest party for you.